what I3 is trying to do is be the data plumber. I mean, we're not, we're not trying to solve the problem. We just want to make it easier for problems to get solved. Hi, folks. Steve here. That was my friend Jerry Power that you just heard. Jerry and I have known each other for a very long time. We met when we were both doing work for the technology company Alcatel shortly after they merged with Lucent Technologies. He then left and went to the University of Southern California to run the Institute for Communication Technology Management, where I was the resident program director for many years. Following that, Jerry founded an organization called the I3 Consortium. I asked him to join me to talk about it. The I3 idea actually started with some academic research um, that I was undertaking at the University of Southern California, USC. And what we were trying to do at the time was to better understand the inhibitors and accelerators of the IoT market. We were coming to the conclusion that there were some holes in the way the ecosystem was being put together and that data governance tools were lacking, data management tools were lacking. So we were starting to identify issues with the overall ecosystem. At that time, USC was preparing for a dog and pony show about IoT and the research being done at USC. So they sent out this all hands call. Anybody doing work in IoT, come to this meeting. We're trying to organize a presentation. Jerry, let me interrupt for just a moment to clarify something for some of our listeners who may not be familiar with IoT, the Internet of Things. Folks, this is a relatively new family of technologies in which clusters of mostly passive sensors generate data in response to some change in their environment. The data can then be combined with other data to yield some important insight about what's going on. For example, imagine a big cattle ranch with stock tanks scattered over the range to provide drinking water for the cattle. A sensor in one of the tanks sends a signal to the rancher's computer telling her that the water level in the tank has gotten too low. This might indicate that there's a leak in the tank, but... A second sensor that measures the temperature of the bearing on the windmill that drives the pump that fills the tank also sends a signal telling the rancher that the bearing temperature is dangerously high. The problem isn't a leak in the tank. The problem is a bearing that's preventing the windmill from driving the pump to fill the tank. That's a simple example, but you get the idea. So, sorry, Jerry, you were talking about the origins of I3. It was interesting. There were probably about a hundred people who came to this call. So a hundred different people doing research, lots and lots of activity going on inside USC. But it was pretty clear as people went around the room that very few people in the room knew the other people in the room. And I happened to be sitting next to one of the people, one of the faculty members from the Viterbi School of Engineering. I was in the Marshall School of Business. And we sort of looked at him and said, if nobody knows anybody, we're replicating a lot of work. And there's probably a better way to do things to solve these research questions. So that was sort of the, the initial genesis of what was I3. We started going back and forth, talking about, about how we could do this better, more efficiently, and, and really the, a rough outline of, of here's how we could do it. One of the CIO staff members at USC knew the CIO people at the, at the city of LA, and they organized a meeting and said, you guys should talk. I hear both of your sides of what you're working on, and you guys just need to be linked to each other. So we had a meeting with the city of LA and explained this idea that we were kind of working on. And it was interesting because the city of LA was at the time trying to figure out their long-term strategic plan. 
what they were seeing was all these smart city applications were being popped up by individual departments. They were meeting the need. There was a real reason for why they're doing it. But the city, as they were projecting forward, they could see lots more and more of these, these IT data silos forming around this technology. And they knew that at every time you add a new silo like that, it really has benefits, but they're insular benefits. And there's a certain cost associated with operating and maintaining those networks. So the city wanted to figure out how do we get our arms around this and start doing IoT, make the city a smarter city, but do it in a way more intelligent than just popping up these individual silos. And we started evolving our concept and it started growing until one day, and this is probably about 2017, we realized we weren't working this, this academic research question. We weren't working something for the city of LA, but this was something that every city, as they continued to make themselves smarter and use technology better, would benefit from. And we formed the I3 Consortium. So Jerry, we hear a lot about smart cities. In fact, we hear about smart cities, smart hospitals, smart cars, smart universities, but we don't always hear much about what that actually means. Can you give me an example? I mean, can you describe an application that illustrates the smart city idea? What does it really look like? We are managing the data streams that flow through a city or any other community-driven organization, but we manage it as part of the infrastructure. And this is a very different philosophy than thinking about the purpose of IoT is to drive data to an applications where you look at the data as a consumable. When you think about it as infrastructure, you want to make the data available to everybody in the city so that everybody can sort of leverage and make use of the benefit of the data. And you try and do that across the city. So that's really a completely different way of thinking about things. In the city of LA, there are sanitation trucks, which drive up and down the street, a regular route. It's all recorded. Everybody knows where the trucks are going to be when. Um, but they all have between four and six cameras on them. The cameras were installed for safety, legitimate reason. Department of Sanitation wanted to make sure that everything was being done safely in accordance with all the rules and requirements. So it was a really good thing to be done. But as they were thinking about where are we going to take this in the future, they realized that the video coming from these cameras, instead of saying this is, a, this is for safety purposes, let's make that video available for other purposes. And if you think about the trucks, yes, they're driving up and down the streets. You can see if they got in an accident. You can use the, the cameras to monitor and make sure the garbage is getting picked up. But while they're driving around, they see other things. They see like potholes in the road. And if you analyze the potholes, you can measure the potholes are getting bigger at some prescribed rate. And then you can forecast and say, all right, we're going to go fix, we, we're going to need to fix this pothole six months from now. Now, if, if you know all the potholes in an area and you know about when they're going to need to be repaired, um, then instead of waiting for somebody to call and complain about the condition of the potholes, the city could actually schedule people to go out and fix two or three potholes in the same area. Maybe they, nobody complained about them yet, but they know they're going to get bad in the next month. Now, the city becomes more efficient, and to the citizens, the city looks like it's being more proactive. 
but there's other things you can do as well. You can you can do things like look for graffiti that needs to be erased or, or overgrown spots of vegetation that need to be tended to. Um, so the video is actually like almost a universal stream of data. It's how you do the video analytics and then what you do based on what you discover. And, and, and that example is, is an example of how one stream of data can be applied to different uses. If, if you were a finance person and you were analyzing the finances of the company, you look at the terms and, and, and basically try and make sure they're leveraging their financial resources. In some ways, what we're trying to do is say data um, should be managed like, like finances and you want to like reuse the data as much as you can. And the more you do that, the more effective financially the organization is going to be. Interesting, isn't it, that something as mundane as garbage truck management can lead to so much insight. But as you said, it's not about the garbage trucks. It's about repurposing or perhaps multipurposing the data. Can you give me another example? One of the places we're talking is with the, the Hollywood Business Improvement District. Okay, it's up, up and down Hollywood Boulevard. And if you're familiar with the area, it's, it's a bunch of, I'll say, relatively small stores. Uh, I mean, not not like huge monster stores. Some of them are, are good size, but it's their retail kind of stores and shops. They all have a degree of technology that they're using to help run their business. But their understanding of the data they collect and what's going on is really confined by the walls of the business because that's where they can deploy their technology. So the idea is, is how do we take the data from all these individual stores be able to pull it together into one place so that instead of the stores just being able to see, here's what's going on inside my four walls, what's going on in the neighborhood. Now, if, if you can tell what's going on in the neighborhood, you can notice things like the fact that the makeup of the people walking down the street actually changes over the course of the day. In the morning, there's people going to work, then there's tourists and families, and as you get later, it's, it's people going out for dinner, and then you get the club set late at night. I mean, these are all really different demographics. The way that you market to them is different. So if you had a better vision of what's going on in the neighborhood, you could almost dynamically change your advertising to cater specifically to the people in the vicinity. Um, but there's a lot of other things, but that's sort of an example that shows a different aspect of I3 and that we're taking data from lots of independent companies, pulling it together to build this sort of composite data stream that could be then analyzed and, and reviewed for, for insight that you would not otherwise be able to see. So the application surface for this technology is pretty broad. It isn't limited to any particular type of human activity. It can be applied to anywhere where people want to collaborate based on data. That's probably the best way to say it. The business improvement district is a bunch of independent stores. Um, if, if you're familiar with cities, cities are organized as independent departments. So in some ways, there's actually organizationally some similarities between that. Um, but you, I've, I've talked to people at, at um, the Farm Workers Union who, who sort of wondered whether, well, maybe what we need to get to is a place where we treat data and what is the analog of the community grain silo, but in the data world. So, so where we can just sort of manage the, our local geography, our local people to sort of be able to compete with big ag. So in, another place to think about it is, is wherever there's ecosystems, which are independent people who want to work together, that's a place where I3 can sort of fit. It's interesting as ecosystems are formed, 
The experts in business will tell you that ecosystems really to be successful need to have trust and they they need the trust so they can exchange data. Um, but, But the problem becomes that who you're partnering with in the ecosystem might change from deal to deal. There's a lot of fluidity when you put an ecosystem together. So how do you manage these data streams that keep changing? where it's not like you deploy and have these fixed static streams. You want to be able to manage them as dynamic entities. And it's more than just sort of connecting two endpoints. You want to manage the data as data because it is really a very specialized kind of a data stream. So, Jerry, one of the concerns that we often hear about the use of sensors to generate data is personal privacy and confidentiality. So how do you deal with that? I'm, I don't mean I3 specifically, but in general, how do we allay people's legitimate concerns about those two areas of interest, privacy and confidentiality? One of the things that we do think about often is how do we maintain privacy and awareness of data so that everybody knows what data is being collected and how it's being used. It's difficult when every organization is different but we are set up to sort of manage ourselves in that kind of environment so that you are known what's happening and what's going on. Above I3, you can actually deliver a video stream to a software tool that does video analytics. And it might blur out everybody's face from the video screen before it allows it to to go further so that there's no personal identification. You could deliver the data stream to a different type of video analytics engine, and it could actually remove all the images and just sort of issue data, like here's how many people were at this intersection at this time with no faces, nothing there, but it was all derived from video information. So it's not that, that video is bad, It's how do you use the video and what are the policies? And of course, those things only make a difference if you disclose and everybody is honest and is willing to share that kind of information. And I3 actually provides a vehicle to make that process much easier. So Jerry, how do people learn more about I3? You can send me an email at jerry, J-E-R-R-Y dot power, P-U-W-E-R at i3-iot.com. You can go to our website and look at it, i3-iot.com. And if you go to i3.usc.edu, you can see what the university's been doing in that. And what about membership other than cities? Who's involved? The people involved in the I3 consortium, it's a pretty diverse group. We have multiple cities most of them in the LA area, but there's some that aren't, who just sort of monitor and pay attention to what we're doing. There are vendors, people who make equipment. There are people who make software. There are other academic institutions besides USC. And then quite honestly, there are just some civic-minded people who think this is an important issue that we need to get behind and, and sort of make a real difference. You know, there's a, there's a saying out there in the world of technology called Putt's Law, It says that technology is managed by two types of people, those who understand what they do not manage and those who manage what they do not understand. Uh, IoT is clearly a technology that needs to be managed by those who truly understand its abilities because it can make a big difference. I mean, a big difference. So before we wrap up and while I have you here, I want to shift gears for just a minute and ask you about something else. I'd like to get your perspective on this. Technology goes through development phases that almost look like a repeating process of expanding and contracting. 
In the early days of IT, we had mainframe computers, big noisy beasts that required water for cooling and huge data centers to live in. Then we got a little smaller. We went to a more compact model called client-server. After that, the LAN and personal computer arrived. So notice that with each step of this, the computing process has gotten closer and closer and closer to the end user. I mean, if you think about it, the mainframe was in the data center. No one knew where that was. The personal computer sits on your desktop. But a few years ago, things kind of turned around and the computing went into the cloud, back to the data center. And now everybody's talking about the move from the cloud to the edge. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about this latest sort of evolutionary stage. The edge is interesting because when we're talking to, to companies about like this video problem, I mean, one of the things we're seeing is for sure there's more video analytics that are moving closer and closer, and in some cases even being embedded within the device. So that's changing. Certainly from the privacy standpoint, it means that there's less personal information because you're not, if you're just sending alerts about something that was detected off the video camera, that's a whole lot different than sending a video image for privacy purpose. Um, so there's some real benefits that this technology is going to bring to that conversation. One of the things that has to be thought about and probably isn't talked about enough is that what's done in the cloud and what's done at the edge, I think has to be somewhat fluid in that if, if you imagine a system that was deployed in downtown LA, here might be the frequent video analytics things and that you want to run close to the device. But here are some video analytics that aren't going to turn up things very often. So maybe we leave those in the cloud. But what those things are, what goes in the cloud and what goes in the edge changes over time. So how do you adjust for making those changes. It's not just about having an edge, but having an edge that you can manage the migration so you can sort of make the performance fit the needs of the area. Very interesting. So during our conversation, you've mentioned analytics a few times. So IoT sensors spew data, the data is collected and analyzed, and the results of the analysis are then used for some purpose. So tell me about that. It is an interesting thing to me that mostly when we talk about data analytics today, we're talking about trend analysis and forecasting the future. That's well and good. That's, that's an important thing. Don't lose that. But with all this data, you can actually begin to use it to drive operational decisions real time. How you use data analytics and when you start saying, no, this is a real-time thing that should improve processes on the fly as, as we learn things as new data comes in, that's a whole different way of thinking about what is the role of data analytics, what is the role of AI, because you've got to now be able to ingest data real-time and make decisions real-time. Okay, one last question. There are a lot of moving parts at work here. And I'm not just talking about the technology stuff. I'm thinking more about the constituencies involved in using it and how they all benefit. Are there any inherent problems that organizations should be aware of? The inherent problem is that government in general tends to be a long-term thinking beast because it takes so long to get things done. They think long-term. Companies are short-term focused. They're worried about their shareholders and that quarterly report, their next annual report. They're very short-term focused. And politicians are medium-term focused because they're worried about what do I need to do to get through the next election cycle? 
So, so you have three different constituencies with three different vantage points as to what should be done. And all three of those parts have trouble seeing what the other, the other pe- person's perspective. My friend Jerry Power, founder of the I3 Consortium. Thank you, Jerry. And again, if you'd like to know more about what Jerry and his organization are doing, visit i3-iot.com. Folks, as you know, I talk about a lot of different technologies on this podcast because they're important and they're definitely worth some degree of curiosity. This one is particularly important. Internet of Things, or IoT, especially in combination with the ability to analyze the data it creates and then act on the results of that analysis, is a game changer and a major defining technology for the future. Let me know if you'd like to know more. Hey, thanks for dropping by. I'm Steve Shepard, the host of the Natural Curiosity Project, where we're committed to the idea that curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. In every episode, we explore some topic that piqued our curiosity enough to make us want to share it with you. I hope you enjoy the journey. And if you did, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave a comment over at iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you very much. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.